This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. Welcome to Talking Halos. It's Derek C. Apollo with my co-host John Crane, and it is not a happy day in Angel Land today. Angels lose three out of four. I, oh gosh, John, I'm not happy. Uh, how are you doing though? Just as frustrated as you. Yeah, it was. It's extremely, extremely frustrating. We, we yeah, it's every game. Yeah, every game, with the exception of Thursday's game, was yeah, was frustrating. Um, you know, you take three, you take, we take, uh, th- we take two steps forward and three steps back. What's the expression? Three, you know, so, I mean, every time we, we start to build some momentum, um, we, we plow into a series like this and just really fall apart. One thing I do want to note is looking at the Oakland A's, they are very, very well equipped to handle the current Angels pitching staff. They're a power hitting team and the Angels give a lot of home runs. And that's what we saw. The home runs really just broke the Angels by the time the, the you know this by the time this game was in hand, it was just man, the home runs, man, they just kill this team. And uh I, I I'm struggling for words so I'm I'm actually really angry. Most of the time when we do a podcast, I'm pretty low key. I'm pretty much the kind of the professor, the guy who's analytical, and so on and so forth. But what I saw out there at the end of the series, John, really bothered me. And we'll get into why, but I'm pretty ticked about it. I can handle losing. I told you that before the show started, but it's how you lose. It's how you go out there and perform that really sets the stage for who you are. And what I saw from this team at the end of the series was a team that lacked character overall and. I never want to say that, man. I never want to say that, but I think we basically saw the Angels quit, and um, that bothers me. You're you're referring, I think, mostly to the pitching staff. Are you talking about the whole team? You talk about Asmus too. Errors. Look at the errors in the eighth inning. Look at the overall performance of the team when they got down in this, especially the last two games. I just saw a team that wasn't locked in, wasn't focused, wasn't prepared, and uh, I mean, 
maybe I'm overreacting. I'm not the kind of guy who will come out here and trash my team. That's not really how I think. I tend to look for the pauses on where, because I be, I am still a believer in where they're going and what their what the plan is. And I know there are so many people out there who say there's no plan and Billy Upward's horrible and Brad Allen is horrible. I, I'm not one of those guys. But what we saw from this team in the last three games of the series, especially as it wore on, was not good in terms of how they handle themselves. After the game, Brad Ausmus labeled it unacceptable, and I agree. And I agree. Yeah, a little deer in the headlights, especially after the uh, the game on Saturday, right? They, yeah, the, and uh, yeah, yeah, today's game was just embarrassing. And uh, I was... Uh, Talking to to Trent Rush, you saw on Saturday at at the game, and I wanted to get his take on what what he thought. He was still very. I haven't obviously that was on Saturday. Uh, no, excuse me, Friday night. That was on Friday night. Now, so Saturday and Sunday happened. I'm I'm curious to see what his what his thoughts are now. But he was really very optimistic, looking at July 24th as being the break or break date for the the Angels to be at, at 500, uh, a secure 500 by then. And then he he had high hopes for the rest of the season. But uh, when you see the last couple games that we we had here i you know we're, we're back under 500 again so out of curiosity had he heard of our podcast you know what we, we i just mentioned it to him and unfortunately i didn't have the cards but i i am going to follow up with him i did i did, he didn't respond to me we were talking about something else and i did bring up the i did bring up the podcast and he didn't really respond to me so i'm going to follow up with him again though he's very accessible yeah, but he he's got his own thing going. He's been on a couple of podcasts that are out there, so it wouldn't surprise me if uh, he's like, "Who are these guys?" <laughs> yeah, we're still pretty new on the block, so he does know who he does. Well, he knows who I am just from Twitter, from uh, the you know the follow up game from the uh, recap show. I mm-hmm. well before I did this podcast, I've been semi you know semi active. I'm not, and uh, and I just simply reached out to him and said, "Hey," because we talked on the social media day about. Uh, you know how I like to take my pictures with angels' personalities, and uh, so I said, "Hey, you know, one time maybe you and maybe you and Ipay can take a picture with me." And he told he responded, "You know, Ipay's busy, but I'd, I'd be glad to meet you." So on uh, that <laughs> Friday night, I just sent him. A, I said, "Yeah." <laughs> so on Friday, I sent him a tweet, and he said, "Meet me." Said, "Meet me by the you know the the gift shop on the on the plaza level after the third inning." And I went over there, and sure sure to his word, and we spent about fifteen minutes talking to each other, and. Yeah, yeah, he's 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 a good guy. He's a very very knowledgeable guy. Like I said, he's a he's an optimist. He's a true optimist. He's been a defender of the bullpen, and I actually gave him props to that. I said, you know, you've always been a big defender of this bullpen, and um, and they've kind of come around. They're one of the well, if they just didn't have to work so darn much. That's really how I feel about the bullpen. The bullpen, I think, is fine. I think bullpen actually might might become one of the best in the league if they just had some breathing room. They're just being worn down, and that's my real big concern. With the starting lineup, and I, I, my gosh, I'm going to Facebook groups, seeing on Twitter today, and folks are all mad at Al Smith, especially in the Facebook group. And I'm looking at this, going, "Why are you mad at him?" But they don't know the stats. They're mad, you know. Skaggs is upset with them, but th- the numbers don't really support the argument that people are making about letting these pitchers go. And I'll tell you why here in a little bit. Before we do, folks. We do want to say, hey, you know, like I said, we're a new podcast, but if you like what we're doing, please check us out on Apple Music and subscribe, or anywhere else really you can get podcasts that you like to listen, subscribe. We'd really appreciate it. We'd also appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. We 
we think it would be wonderful. Help us move the charts. If you want us to earn it, hey, we can do that. Email us at talkinghalesgmail.com. Give us your feedback. We are always open to feedback. We want to be among the best Angels podcasts out there. If not the best, that's a stiff competition. There is. But, hey, you know, we'd appreciate it. Also, if you're a new listener and you're enjoying the show, please do us a favor and text a fellow Angels fan and know about our podcast or or get a car or whatever. Word to mouth. You know, that's how things pass these days. We're text or whatever. We'd really just appreciate the support. Now, normally when we recap a series, we'll go by game by game. And quite frankly, I just don't have a stomach for it. It's pretty brutal after game one. The Angels, the Angels played well in game one. And they deserve props for a wonderful performance in that game. Games two, three, and four, the bats disappear. The pitching's inconsistent and gets gradually worse as the the series goes on. And I think right now I, I really want to focus in on what are the major points here because what we've seen here, John, is a growing expectation that maybe this Angels team can make the playoffs. And I've been iffy about it all along. Not not all along, just really not because they are a bad team, but because they have too many weaknesses. And I think all those weaknesses were on display in this series. I agree. I, I mean, they I, really I, were. And I, and, and I know a certain co-host of a podcast who was very critical of Osmus the other uh, yesterday pulling um, Skaggs out of the game um, after you know and then and then oh, uh, we uh, discussed locked it. on angels. Uh, pardon, locked on angels or which other podcast? Uh, no, uh, the guy it's it's called Talking Halos. He was ranting on tweet on Twitter about uh, oh. why they pulled out Skaggs, you know? That and was you, that, wasn't it? That's right, huh? That was me. Yeah, that was me because I was very, you know, I am just, uh, I just want to see my guys go five innings, especially the way Skaggs had only allowed two hits. He was at 91 pitches. There's I mean, I know he's he right there, John. Not at 100. Come on. Let him get out of the mess. Just let him try to get, and he wasn't even really in a mess because, uh, Actually, you know, uh, the, uh, Cahill came up and cleaned the bases with the first pitch. So, I mean, I'd have rather that pitch come from um, Skaggs and not from Cahill. And I think most of his fans that are like me were agreeing, you know, come on, just let him let him try to get out of it. Worst case scenario, when he gives up a home run, well, guess what? That happened already. And uh, I know, uh, and with the bullpen that we have, as much as uh, work as they've been getting, uh, I'm just all, I don't think you're ever going to change my mind on the fact that, come on, just let him at least go five. That was my issue with social last year, and it looks like it's going to be a big issue with Brad, too. Well, I'm going to make a case for it anyways, all right? I know. That's why I was just setting you up. <laughs> and the reason I'm going to make a case for it is because I'm seeing a lot of hate for it. Now, let me, let me give you guys a couple just disclaimers here. I'm not a Brad Austin fan. I'm not an anti-fan. I'm not against him. I haven't seen enough of him throughout an entire season to make a judgment call. And I absolutely 100% despise the idea of using his tenure with the, with the Tigers as evidence he's a bad manager. Because we talked with the host from Locked On Tigers earlier this year, and he gave us the whole story. If you want to go back and listen to that podcast, you can. It's among one of our first podcasts we did. And in that, he basically explained there were several things going on with Brad Ausmus and the Tigers there. It was the tearing down the farm system. It was the aging of the core players there. Basically, the Tigers needed to rebuild. And so they basically did an organizational overhaul and fired him. So to put this at Brad Ausmus' feet and say that the Tigers are his fault and he's a bad manager, I don't think that's fair. 
And I've also seen people calling him dumb. I'm sorry, this guy played the game for a very long time. He's been around the game his entire life. He's not dumb. Does that mean he's a good manager? No, but let's uh, let's be honest in how we assess him across the board. All right, so here's my point here. This is where I'm going. This is the notes I wrote for the podcast today. And that is, the bullpen's burning out. It's becoming clear. They're running out of dependable options. They're running out of dependable options to the point where Jared Walsh, the two-way player who just came up, again, pitched an inning in a third today. And did it right, by the way. But that's who they're turning to in the bullpen. Stars are not going deep. But here's a big problem. They're not efficient. And this is where I'm going to make my argument, John. And I'm going to take this straight from an article that was on MLB.com today. Okay? Actually, it came out late last night. And this is about Skaggs being unhappy by Alice's pulling him. Red Bollinger wrote it. Got to give him credit. And I'm going to quote this. Okay? I'm going to quote Bollinger here. I'm going to read two small paragraphs. Al Smith explained that he went to the bullpen again because Skaggs has faced the top of the A's lineup as leadoff hitter Marcus Simeon came through with an RBI double off Skaggs after he walked Jerusha Profar and committed a questionable balk. And by the way, that was not a balk. Garbage mm-hmm. call. Okay. I agree. Here's the big point. The numbers do support Al Smith. As Angel starters enter the game having allowed opposing batters to hit 322. 380 and 597 when facing a lineup for the third time. For context, Angel superstar Mike Trout has a career slash line of 306, 419, and 576. So this is what's going on, John. And this is why I'm going to make this argument to the T because I think people are holding Alice's accountable for the crappy performance of the starting pitchers. Okay. Well, I mean, not all, you know, like I'm, I'm going to say Skaggs was, did not have a crappy performance. He was on the verge of perhaps causing some, you know, uh, okay. it, it turning into a crappy performance. But he at that point, what he'd only allowed, I, was it two hits at that point? But here's the problem. He may have only allowed two hits, but it took him 91 pitches to do it. So here's the real problem that we don't think about. The efficiency of your pitches. And by the way, I am 100% against Alismith pulling Skaggs from his last start where he had thrown 70 pitches. 100% against it. I just want to point so, that out. So you're saying p- pitch count is a, is a big factor in what in, in your point right now? Yes. All right. Okay. For many people, 91 pitches is still doable because you have now... You're not quite at 100 or 110 or whatever. But here's the problem. You've thrown that many pitches over the course of just those few short innings, and you're into that third time in the lineup. That many pitches equals that many people looking at your pitches. That means these hitters have already seen a bunch of your pitches. It's not like you went and faced off of Marcus Simeon, for example, and you threw him two, three pitches the first at bat, three pitches the second at bat. Instead, he's seeing six and seven pitches per at bat. He's seeing double and triple of what you'd like him to see. And when you've seen a guy enough, you're going to beat him. And that's the real issue. It's not the fact that he's throwing, you know, that he's only given up two hits. 
It's the fact that it took him that many pitches to do it over a short period of time. That's why we're talking about the third time through the lineup. It's not just the fact that you're third time in the lineup. Right now, Angel, this is across the board. Angels pitchers, third time through the lineup, they are throwing a ton of pitches. He did that today. We've seen it with other pitches across the Skaggs does this all the time. And that so is getting pulled. So what you're and no, I'm kind of no, I'm I'm seeing a little bit of point here where you're saying because you're looking like a Justin Verlander when he hits when he hits a hundred pitches, he's often in the seventh inning or maybe even the eighth Correct. inning. Right. And so uh, where uh, fans like me, and that was my frustration with Mike Sosha, who I do still have a, I, I love Mike. And, I, and I'm not against Brad right now, but that was my frustration with Mike. So I guess I guess I as a fan and maybe many fans like me on, on uh, Facebook, we're upset about the inning time. Like, gosh, he's doing great. He's, he hasn't even got the win yet. But when you're looking, like I said, maybe a, Verla- a Verlander uh, is, you know, by the time he hits the amount of pitches he's well into the game think about this okay let's just say that by the seventh inning verlander is probably fate you know the, the perfect game by at the end of the seventh inning would be what 21 hitters right mm-hmm. so if he's given up three or four hits got a couple walks and there he's probably 27 hitters yeah 27 Sorry. for a perfect game so yeah. if he's given up say three or four hits a couple walks so let's just say he's at 27 hitters by the end of the seventh inning. That's a good day. Think about in those 27 hitters at 100 pitches. Just divide. Just do the math. Divide. Divide four from 127. It's a little under four. Three point something pitches exactly. per, per batter. Okay. So now look at, say, Skaggs. How many batters had he? Let's actually go to the box score. Okay. Let's just do the math. Okay, the, the the math from that. How many hitters had he faced? I'm pulling the box score back up. I had it down. I, I, I should I shouldn't take it down. I'm pulling it back up now. The batters faced. Here we go. Batters faced. Skaggs faced 19, and had 91 pitches. Okay, do the math. 91. Take it from 19. Take so 20, 40. That's four. You're almost. You're you're actually four and a half at least. Four four point seven. Pitches per guy? So each hitter is facing an extra pitch more over the course of fewer at-bats now, right? Yeah. This is my point. They're seeing more pitches from They have more data to work with. And you're, and you're getting worn out earlier in a game. That's the point I'm trying to make. You, if you're not... And Brad Osmus is trying to make. Yeah, and Brad Osmus is trying to make, right? Correct. Well, the numbers show it. The numbers show it. Mm-hmm. Again, opposing teams, once they get through that third time in the lineup, they're hitting 322 against the, the Angels starting pitchers. That is, what, quite frankly, that's horrid. And that's the point. The, the problem with the Angels staff right now, they've had some good days. We saw some good stuff against the Reds. We saw some good stuff against the Cardinals. But overall, this is a very, very poor starting staff as a whole. And the numbers show it. And so people are, are going after Al Smith. And they're ignoring the fact that these guys are not performing up to par for a successful starting staff. 
Well, yeah, I, I think fans are pretty, pretty, I don't think fans are high on anybody. We have moments, like Skaggs gives us moments. And now, I mean, call me, you know, again, this has been a learning process for me. I'm not a stat guy, but I have become to focus more on stats now since we start since I've uh, we started this podcast and now this is even making it more clear for me with the point of the of the um, openers which I never you know really appreciated or understand and I'm still I don't know it's working at this point all the time but that it, now I understand the point of taking away those first three hopefully first three batters out of the uh, lineup so that that starter doesn't get a third time with them he actually if he pitches well that third time will be somewhere in the seventh or eighth inning uh, when you ideally would want to bring in in a, perf- in a, in a well-pitched game, you would want to bring in a setup man or a closer. Well, our guest, Levi Weaver, from The Athletic in Dallas-Fort Worth, he and I do talk about the opener in our preview section here. We're going to have that in a little bit. But I am actually becoming more and more of an opponent now of the opener because I think it's effective when you're trying to get your staff together and try and get things settled. But now that you are in July, you need to have every option humanly possible in the later innings for your with your relief core. And by having an opener starting your game for going any inning, inning and third or whatever, you have fewer options later. At this point, you should be able to trust your starting your starting staff to make it at least five innings. And really, six or more. Okay, okay. so I, I was on the side of an opener for about 45 seconds this season, and you just sent me right back. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I, I mean, because it is, it's trashing. We're trashing our, a closer as I'm soon as perfect. as soon as the game starts. We're throwing him in the trash. We're well, saying, want, pitch one inning and get out. Sure, but I'm not, against, I'm not against an opener as a tool to sell your staff. I think they've been doing that. But now you're getting to the point where... You, you kind of have to, this is an expression we use with our kids, and so it's not a pretty one, but you, you got to poop or get out the pot. At some point here, your starters have to go the distance here. You can't keep killing your bullpen because you're going to need these guys. And at this point, you are basically taking a lot of strategic advantage away from your manager by having to have an opener earlier in the game. Your manager needs to be able to have that guy later. And, but for example, the other day, no, he, no, he comes in, he opens. He had a rough day, by the way. But they could have probably used him in a much different situation later in the day. And instead, that's where he was, facing the top of the A's lineup. Yeah, bottom line, moral of the story, we, we, need, we need some quality starting pitching. And, and I think you were, you know, yeah, we need start, quality starting pitching. And I don't see, and we don't see a lot of it potentially coming out of the farm system soon. Correct. Correct. I mean, I've been doing some some extra study. We'll talk more about it on Wednesday when we do our farm report. But really, what we're seeing from the Angels is you have some guys who are kind of close right now, both at position and a couple pitchers. But the next core of Epler's guys, I mean, because he drafted a lot of guys young, those guys are still hovering around single A up or single A, especially some of the hitters, a couple of pitchers. It's going to be a couple years really before they get here. So there's going to be a gap. So what I'm thinking is going to happen here is the Angels are going to be heavily active in the pitching market this offseason because they really don't have other options. There's nobody really. If they want to compete next year, they're going to have to get into the free agent market because there really is not much in terms of immediate availability, quality guys, and definitely not an ace available. Candy might develop. Again, Levi Weaver and I talk about that a little bit later. 
But right now, that's the weakness of our farm system. There's a gap right there, dead center on double A, and and you can see it by the way how good these teams. Uh, Inland Empire is not very good. Uh, it's just there are problems there. In other words, Billy Up was done a good job of turning this farm system around, but it's still a long way to go. Uh, and and I think you know, you know we read that Epler article. I I think there is going to be a change of attitude in the front office this offseason. Do, don't don't you believe? I think they are going to be very aggressive uh, in the starting pitching department uh, I, because I think they have the, to be. John. Yeah, this rebuilding on the fly thing was nice for one year, but yeah, fans are already impatient, and 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 I am you know I'm not that imp- you know I, I understand what we had when we came into the season, so I, I'm patient this season. But yeah, they're gonna have. I mean, I I think if they come up empty in this next off season, yeah, it, it's gonna be, it's gonna uh, be a long season. Yeah, it's gonna be troublesome for both for Epler and for. Uh, uh-huh. Not already. He owns the team, so he ain't going anywhere. Well, Sorry, folks. I, I think that's kind of the. I think we're looking at. We've been talking about the plan over and over again. I think that's really having a deeper look at the farm system right now. I can't see another option. If the Angels ignore starting pitching, which they didn't, by the way, last offseason, they just got outbid. They can't be. They cannot be outbid. Garrett Cole or a guy like him, and keep going back to Garrett Cole. You cannot let him get away this year. And that may force the Angels to overpay when they don't want to. You and I, we both, I have thoughts on overpaying. We've talked about that. So, mm-hmm. in a way, I think the Angels are paying in the box when it comes to if you want to compete quicker than what you normally would want to do. So, before we get to our preview for the Texas series, a couple of things here that I noticed that I wrote down. The Angels, these, again, these are all, just let me pause, hit the reset button for a second. The Angels... Weaknesses right now include starting pitching, and folks might not want to hear this because we have a very nice lineup. Except it's very streaky. Have you noticed this, John? This is a very yes, I streaky. Have. Yes, I have. Otani examples of well, we just got upped and back, but Otani's definitely been streaky. Trout. Everybody was talking about a trout slump, um, and I mean. Definitely. Well, a lot of the new guys, I mean, we're getting guys back, so we can't say that Simmons is streaky uh, yet. And, um, but, de- oh, definitely. Every, we don't, yeah, I agree. Uh, well, streaky. I, yeah, I think that as time goes on, the, the lineup is going to solidify and we'll see some of this kind of ironing out. But the streaky hitting is a concern. And you know what? The big concern the guys the A's put against the Angels these last three games of the series were very, very good. And they had good control. So what I'm noticing is the Angels just do not hit good pitching. They just don't. That, that could They've be been beating up on the Torontos of the world. Let's be honest about yeah. that. Well, that's I think that's true, but 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 we have quality players. We do we have do. proven we hitters. We have proven hitters. So I mean, it's not that we could say we need to get better hitters because I don't think we need better hitters. I, no. I we don't. We need we need pitching. So I, I don't know if there's a frustration. Uh, you know, I don't. You know, like I said, Trout. You know, he didn't have his Trout start, but he's. He's going to have a trout season. Um, we all hope Simmons is going to have a, a, a Simmons season, and we hope Upton's going to bounce back and have an Upton season. So, I mean, I, I, offense isn't our isn't our problem, but yes, it would be nice if we had some consistency. Well, it's kind of a circular flying fire squad now between the pitching staff and the and the the batting lineup, the hitting lineup, because the pitchers 
are constantly when this team is cold, they have to. De- there's the pressure of having to have a great game because these guys aren't hitting anything. But on the flip side of it, the hitters they're under pressure because they know they're not going to get much from starting staff. There's yeah, the way and that's. That. So you do. Yeah, I was thinking that. I was thinking. Do you think that wears on them? Do you do you think the fact that they know they have to generally go out and usually score four to five runs a game at least to I be think in the game? I it would get to you, John. I think it would get to you from time to time knowing that you have to do this. I think that will cost players to press because they know they have to make a play. I think you've probably seen Trout pressing at times this year. We've never seen Trout have the kind of cold spells and then warm spells. He's been so up and down this year. Even though his overall numbers are great, and he's, I, you're not going to hear me criticizing Mike Trout much. But he has been less consistent than normal. And what's even more concerning is he actually has protection in the lineup now with Shohei Otani sitting right behind him, and Otani's playing well. So what's the problem? Well, it's only been a short amount of time that he's had, and now he's got. We got Upton in the lineup too. There's a lot of protection around him. I mean, I, again, I know. I, I I think he's. Pressing I wouldn't. Cry, you know, I, I I refuse. I, I always like like you. I think you know, Trout's not our problem, but um, no, no. All I'm saying, John, is I think, I just think he's pressing it. I think that if you were in his position and you have a lot of stuff going on, and you felt like you had to score a bunch of runs, you would press too sometimes. And it's a natural human response. This is not me criticizing Mike Trout or anybody else, but that is still a concern. And if you had a more solid pitching staff that you could depend on, I think a lot of things would relax for the Angels, especially with in concern with the offense. Yeah. I, he, I, I mean, I don't think that there's anything to do with the contract he signed either because I don't think he's a – I mean, he's signing the biggest contract that's available because that was offered to him, and that's expected that he signs that contract. But I, I don't think his attitude has changed one bit for the other, especially that the article I was reading that, you know, they basically said he, there was never never a doubt among any of his friends and family or anybody that he was ever leaving the Angels, even though it was, you know, it was not publicly announced. Well, I don't think so, and I don't, I don't want to put it at the contract. I don't think it's a contract. I just think that the overall factors of the club is, is, I think at some point you feel the pressure to compete. You know, we the fans are starting to get antsy more than they have in the past. It's been a long time since this team has been a legitimate contender year in and year out, and the 2000s did spoil us a bit for a good reason. And at some point here, the Angels have to turn that corner. And just when you think they've turned that corner... Like you said, they moved three steps back. Mm-hmm. Literally, three games back now. You go from 42 and 40 to 42 and 43. So, and, and finally, I, I want to point this out. I, I am really upset with how they performed in the last game today, late in the innings, the lack of focus. The, the attitude I just saw there was, as Brad Austin said, was unacceptable. Yeah, it's 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 frustrating, but you're a professional, so you have to show up every day. I mean, we, we as fans expect that. We show up, we turn on the TV, whatever we do, we listen to the radio. We expect you to perform every day. That's why things like I don't think we saw any of that. But it was what Manny Machado last year, the World Series. Uh, you know, not running out. When you see him not run out of first, uh, you know, run out of an, an out. Um, you just want to see 100% every time, and, and that is extremely disappointing when, you, when you, you feel there's a lack of focus or a lack of, just a lack of focus, I guess. All right, so folks, there you go. 
there's our vent. I hope it wasn't too negative. I'm still a believer in this team's future. I just didn't like what I saw today, and there are some serious concerns. It should temper, I think, all of our expectations for this season, unless some major moves are made, unless we see a sudden turn on the pitching staff. But on the same token, there's still a lot to be excited about. I love watching Shohei Otani play. Mike Trout still Mike Trout. Tom Listell is an all-star. Hey, hey, there you go. Uh, so there's still a lot of good things about it. But if we're thinking this team is a contender, I'm sorry they're not this year. Hopefully soon, but they're just not one this year. I hope they prove me wrong. Okay. Hey, hey Derek, hold on. Yeah. Did, did, did Trout make the All-Star too? All-Star uh, he's too? a starter. He's a starter. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Good. I just, I just, you just mentioned Listella, so I was going to make sure. <laughs> well, that's because the announcer for the reserves was today. <laughs> I'm right. joking. So, hey, folks, we need a sponsor. So, hey, reach out to us. We are great to do business with at TalkingHalos at gmail.com. And help us keep the lights on here. You can also leave a voicemail at 657-666-5453. Next on our talk on next on our docket here is our preview with Levi Weaver from the Athletic Dallas Fort Worth. Really good baseball conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. One note though, I made a mistake in there late in there. I, I said for whatever reason I got in my head this is a three game series. It's not a three game series. It's a four game set down there in Texas before they move on to play the Astros. So here we go. It is Levi Weaver from the Athletic in Dallas Fort Worth with our big series preview. Check it out. All right, folks, I'm here with Levi Weaver from the Athletic Dallas-Fort Worth. Levi, thanks for coming to the show. I really appreciate you taking the time, and how are you doing? Doing well. It's been a more fun-than-expected season, so it's it's been nice to not have to sort of slog into work every day and cover a losing team. Really weird, because they have, the Rangers have had a really solid year, much more than I think anybody expected. I expected them to possibly finish in last, kind of competing for the with the Mariners there, the Angels right above them, not doing too hot themselves, and basically being the A's in second place, and the, the Astros running away with it. And it's, it's not really turning out like that at all for the Rangers. What has been key to their emergence, and just to clarify and verify, what did most experts actually expect out of the Rangers this season? Yeah, I mean, I I think pretty much everything that I read suggested the same thing that you did, that the Rangers would be in last place, that they are in the middle of a rebuild, and that they were not going to start competing until 2020, and maybe by 2021 they'd be good. And, um, and I, I think if you have to... I, I thought about this this last week. I, I wrote the article when they hit 81 games and went, you know, here are the 10 things that have contributed to the Rangers' success, and I didn't put this in the article, but I, part of me just as a thought exercise was like, which one of these is the most important? What what was the one thing that's been more than the rest? Is it is it Mike Miner, his resurgence? Is it Lance Lynn sort of figuring out that maybe throwing his fastball 90% of the time is not the most effective way to pitch? <laughs> uh, is it Joey Gallo finally breaking out and turning into like a Megatron super beast? Um and all of those things have been really important. Uh, the bench is important. Danny Santana is having a career year. Hunter Pence has had a uh, renaissance. But I think uh, probably above and beyond all of that, I, I think you, you got to give credit to the new coaching staff. Chris Woodward has been just phenomenal. Um, you know, he's come in with just no pretense whatsoever. He's he's sort of this friendly. Um, very understanding guy. He's, he's preached process over results from day one and, and sort of embraced like, hey, guys, nobody expects us to win. So let's 
take that pressure off. If if we lose 90 games this year, that's really going to suck. But as long as we are taking this year and getting better individually, learning how to be the best version of ourselves that we can possibly be, then that's going to bode really well for us in years to come. And the players really bought into that. And I think probably Joey Gallo seeing the results that he saw early in the year after sort of tweaking his swing with uh, Luis Ortiz and Calix Crab probably helped the buy-in a little bit. But I, man, I, I just think that message has really resonated with the players. Uh, Julio Rangel has been great with the pitching staff. I mean, just top to bottom, the coaching staff has been uh, a, a un, an unqualified success. I mean, just wildly successful and uh, and what's part of it is so what uh, here's the one story that I kind of tend to go back to um, early in the year Lance Lynn was not doing great he was five starts in and the analytics department got in touch with Chris Woodward or, you know, as part of their however often they meet and basically told him we are the most predictable team in baseball right now if it's a fastball count our pitchers throw fastballs if it's a breaking ball count our pitchers throw breaking balls it's easy for the opposing team to know what pitch is coming we got to change it up and so Woodward and and coaching staff were able to take that information take it to the pitching staff and explain to them why this is the problem and i think Sport wide, it's we're we're seeing that sea change, and we're on the back end of that sea change. This is not you know 2005 where analytics are worthy of making a baseball movie about. But when you've played baseball your entire life, when you are a professional athlete, I imagine it can be really difficult to have some guy in an office whose job is to sit and stare at a computer all day, mm-hmm. yeah, tell you, hey, here's how you can be better at baseball. Uh, the buy-in is is difficult there. You're taking advice from somebody who doesn't play. To have a coaching staff that can take and understand and study and and fully grasp that level of analytics and the and it's not just the the analytics department. It's also the Edgertronic and Rapsodo cameras, the sports science behind it, the physiology of the way that the body works, all of that. To be smart enough and intelligent enough to understand that, grasp the importance of it, but then to turn and communicate that. To baseball players from guys who played baseball. I mean, Chris Woodward played in the big leagues for a long time and explain that to baseball players in their language, help them understand why it's important and why to buy in. I think that's probably been the biggest part of the Rangers' success this year. It's really interesting you say that because we've seen those same tendencies from the Angels pitching staff this year. So much so that the Angels announced team was it were they were actually calling pitches during broadcast up to about two weeks ago where the next pitch was going to go. And sure enough, this is why the Angels have been giving up home run after home run after home run is because opposing hitters know where the next pitch is going. And that's been a problem that I've been waiting to see how the Angels staff deals with because everybody knows what they're going to throw. And it, it yeah. seems to have improved a lot. But there's that definitely a place for analytics in the game. And I'm wondering why it's taking so many teams a long time to really grasp that and take hold of it and make it a positive because you understand it's just like sky report understanding players tendencies understanding team tendencies you would think it'd be you know a no-brainer to implement in your staff yeah i mean i think baseball is very slow to change as a sport i think baseball players are and i think probably a lot of this has to do with just the length of the season right it's 
it's not just 162 games. It's the six weeks of spring training, um, and then and then you've got this schedule where you're playing almost every day for however many months, and then hopefully, if you're lucky, you get to go play some more. And these guys are going home mid fall, and and you know even now there's really not much of an off season. Guys are doing their throwing programs and stuff. So so much of that is muscle memory to begin with, and then second of all, like to change something in the middle of a season is is difficult. You get into your routine, you get into what you're doing, and, and you've worked really hard to be good at that specific thing. To try and switch that up in the middle of a season, it's, it's tricky. It's not like you've got a week between games like a football team where you can go, okay, I've got, I got six days to work on this. Like I can, I can kind of get this down in the next six days and know what my game plan is. It's like, hey, we noticed this today. Can you tomorrow change everything? <laughs> and, yeah. and I think that makes it really tricky to change. And and as I said before, like a lot of it is how the message is packaged. If you look at it, honestly, they really should just, if I could go back to the beginning, like stop calling it analytics and call it like advanced scouting. If, if you can look at it like scouting, then I think the buy-in is probably going to be better. But But even that, like it's just, it's difficult to change when you don't really have a break between between your games, starting pitchers, maybe slightly different, right? They've got some yeah. days in between, but as far as the rest of the team goes, yeah, it's it's tough. I'm sure there's other factors as well. I'm sure there's ego involved. I'm sure there is a thought process. I've been doing this all my life. I've been successful doing this all my life. Like, how can sure. I change now? All kinds of factors, I'm sure, are involved. Also, there's something else going on out there in Texas as well. You guys are building a new stadium, which yeah. I got to be honest, man, it raised a few eyebrows, raised my eyebrow because your stadium is, one, a beautiful ballpark, and it's less than 30 years old. But I'm sure there's a reason for it. So why build a new stadium now? Well, they should have put a roof on it the first time. Honestly, like it, I it definitely raised my eyebrows too when it's happened. I'm like, I already, wow. Um, but there, man, there there was a game already this year. There was a game where the heat index was 111. Um, we've seen games. I think just last year there was one where the actual temperature was 108 and the heat index was like 120 something. That's dangerous, and not just for the players, but for the fans. Uh, I mean, it's there's a health risk involved there, and it was stupid of them not to put a roof on it the first time. If they had done that, the stadium, I think, would be around for another 50 or 60 years. But it's, you know, I, I've been to games in other cities where it's 90 degrees out, and you're like, yeah, it's, it's hot, but, you know, it's bearable, and you just sort of get a fan and get a cold drink, and you'll be okay. It's, it, and I know everybody thinks the weather in their, in their uh, locale is more extreme than others, but it is it's oppressive the heat here in in the summertime and it's not getting better and man it is just to try and watch a baseball game when the seats are literally like 150 degrees when you sit down and it hurts to sit down and then you know the the wind is or the the sun is bearing down they they needed a stadium need is maybe a strong word they should always have had a stadium with a roof so I think part of this is a billion-dollar correction to a, a mistake that was made in 1991 or two, or whenever they decided to build this park. Um, my biggest problem with it, if I can sort of give my personal uh, soapbox, there's still no public transportation. So you've got a stadium that is a half an hour drive from Dallas, a half an hour drive from Fort Worth. You cram all these people into a stadium and go, "Bye, Budweiser. Here's drinks. We've got a bar in the back." Oh, by the way, don't drive home. 
take a $50 Uber or Lyft to get back home. I think that's wildly irresponsible of the team. And that's not just the Rangers. That's the Dallas Cowboys as well, who are just across the street. Um, but hey, you know, parking money. So that's that I think. And then, and then of course, getting the public to pay for a stadium. I, I'm, I'm just not a fan of that in general. I think if you are part of a multi-billion dollar industry and you are the ones, you, you, you can't tax the city and make them pay for a stadium where that money could be going to education or infrastructure. And then when it's done, be like, okay, cool. Now we're raising the ticket prices and you have to pay to get into the stadium that you paid for. Just philosophically, that does not sit well with me. But as far as the idea of needing a stadium with a roof, I, I think it's just a very expensive correction um, for a bad decision that was made decades ago. I think it depends really on the economics that are involved, the agreements in place with the city and, and the owner involved. If the owner is getting all the profits from this stadium the public built, then I think that is a problem. That's one reason why you're not seeing California do many you know, public stadiums anymore. Same pretty, right. pretty much for everywhere. So this is a this is a trend that's starting to go the other way now. They're starting to say, hey, you know what, owner, you got to buy your own stuff. But I'm going right. back to what you were saying in terms of, I, I, I got to admit, man, I find it appalling <laughs> that there's no mm-hmm. public transportation out there. How can that be, especially when, it's like you said, you want people to buy your beer. It's almost like you're saying, hey, come here, get drunk, and then go die in a car crash. Go ahead, bye, see you later. This is right. really happening. Yeah, no, it's, it's- it's wildly irresponsible, and that has been like my one thing that I will continue to beat that drum until they finally get a, a dart station there. It's it's just unheard. And and uh, uh, here we go. Like this is going to turn into city politics. They had a vote about a dart station like a, a few years ago, and there was a public forum, and one of the people from Arlington that spoke said, "We don't want those kind of people coming from Dallas." In, into our city and so there is some local politics that's involved as well like i don't know what they mean by those kind of people it's not like we like dallas is not a, a state penitentiary over here <laughs> like i live in dallas i would love to take the dart into the stadium every day and uh yeah i, I mean i think it's a, a bigger problem than just the teams but the, the teams have got to do something about it they've got to throw their weight behind it it's it's just a sense it it's not going to yeah, it's it's a problem, and and baseball. so absolutely, you've got so many games, and these games are letting out at ten thirty, eleven o'clock at night. You, they they just built a brand new uh, uh like a it's called Texas Live. There's there's like I don't know eleven or twelve restaurants and bars there, a bunch of big screen TVs, so you can go watch the games um, when the team is away. It's supposed to be this sort of hub now, and that's all part of this new ballpark build. And you just you've got people there drinking until midnight and then well see you later good luck and it's not just the citizens of arlington that are walking or ubering a mile to the stadium to, i mean like this is the metroplex's baseball team you got people coming from weatherford which is an hour away you've got people coming from rockwall an hour away from plano which is 45 minutes away from freaking waco which is an hour away like you and not that you can provide public transportation to all of those places but good heavens you gotta you gotta do something economics wise this seems like a really bad idea for both the team and Arlington to not get behind this. Because if you have a Texas Live, and we have LA Live out here, we get it. Uh, okay. And we know what's going up in Inglewood, California with the Rams. They're building a whole new thing out there. And you better believe there's public right. transportation coming in there. I mean, common sense dictates, hey, 
if you have busing or whatever, public transportation coming to this area, you're going to have more people. If you have more people, right. you have more money. If you have more money, then all of a sudden your town is flourishing. What does it matter where they're coming from as long as they're putting dollars and cents into your business? Right. Yeah, that I mean, no that's you're, you're, you're exactly right. I, I don't even have anything to add to it. You're so right. <laughs> Well, hopefully they figure it out. Uh, but you know, let's get to the actual series itself. We, we could probably talk politics okay. all day. I'm sure when we, yeah, I'm right. sure we'll talk again one day and we'll catch up. <laughs> um, it, the actual series coming up here right now. The Angels these last two games they've struggled a bit hitting. They're so up and down. Their their lineup is talented, but it's up and down. Meanwhile, the Rangers lineup has been well. Let's just say very good. How well does the Rangers lineup match up with the current Angels pitching staff? And what do you see as an advantage for Texas coming in this series? Uh, I think, so I'll be honest, I really don't know a whole lot about Jose Suarez. I, I was just looking him up today. Um, and so it, it looks like he's been, it, you can tell me if I'm right or wrong on this, kind of just looks like a young guy that's kind of trying to figure it out, trying to figure out how to stick in the big leagues. Is that a is that a fair assessment well, he, of his? He's currently the number, I believe, he just moved up to number four prospect in the Angels organization. He okay. was optioned down. He can only he can come back ten days later, so he may pitch in this series. I haven't seen all the matchups yet; they haven't all been released. So, if you see him, uh, what I can tell you is he's got a very strong upside, but you know he's behind in terms of development compared to like Griffin Canning, who moved who moved through right. fast. And so, right. I, I'm thinking this is the year to get him innings between AAA and the majors, and next year we'll see what he can be. The scouting report on him is he can be a mid-level rotation guy. I actually think his ceiling's a little higher. I, I'm liking okay. some of the development we've seen down the minors with him. But so far in the majors during his pitching, um, he's been inconsistent, been good but not great, uh, gives up the unfortunate uh, extra bases hit, whether it be a home run or more at the wrong time. And so mm. basically... He's a young guy who's still trying to find his way. Yeah, so he's uh, on the if if the MLB at bat app is to be trusted, he is listed as a starter for Monday. Um, yeah, so if think, that's the case, then then yeah, that's what you're going to see. Yeah, so I think the Rangers probably have an advantage in that one. They've got Mike Miner going in the first game. Miner's a legitimate Cy Young candidate this year, which is the first time the Rangers have had that in a while. Um, so as far as that matchup goes, I, I like Texas, but man, you're right. Griffin Canning has been pretty phenomenal. I think I'm looking here maybe better in May than in June, but still a, a really good, um, solid starting pitcher with a lot of upside. And, and then the Rangers have their own uh, Suarez uh, in Ariel Harado going in game two. And Harado has been better than expected this year, too, with his, his secondary pitches have really come along. It, it, last year, the knock on him was he had one pitch. He had a sinker and that's it. Um, this year, his his changeup, his his breaking pitches have been better. He's still got a. I mean, his ERA is under four. He's he's doing all right. Um, I think the Angels lineup is is fascinating. I, you've got obviously Mike Trout, Shohei Otani. Those guys are are always going to be a danger. Otani seems to be the latest Ranger killer. Every time he comes to the ballpark, it seems like he hits a couple of home runs per game. Um, but then after that. I mean, Tommy Lestella is having a great year, but he is, is he currently, I'm, I'm trying to look here. Is he on the DL right now no, or IL? He's there. I mean, actually, the oh, okay. lineup is actually pretty, you're probably thinking of Zach Cozart. Overall, the lineup is pretty healthy That's right, yeah. right now. Okay. 
Where what's what's the latest with I I missed Andrelton Simmons. I know he was injured for a while. Is he he's, back? He's back. He man, that guy's a that guy's an a genetic freak, man. He was supposed to be out until August. He's already yeah. back. Good heavens. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean the Angels lineup is is good. I think this will be a good test for the Rangers pitching staff, which has had a pretty good run of it lately. They just yesterday uh, they lost to the Rays yesterday, and um, Adrian Sampson gave up three runs over six innings. It was a quality start, but when he gave up a run, he broke a 21-inning scoreless streak by Rangers starters. So the starters have been in a good groove lately. It'll be a really interesting matchup to see them go up against a team with guys like Trout and Otani and Simmons and La Stella. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it should be a really good, a really good series. Well, the problem of the Angels lineup is it's good. When it's good, it's really good. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, they will they will just string together extra base hit after extra base hit after extra base hit, and then you'll see the last two nights where they do nothing. They just do nothing, and so the two runs for which were scraped on Friday night, and then last night getting shut out. And it was it was an awful shutout. I mean, there was no real. They weren't making contact well, and this is a contact team, so they're frustrating because. The talent's there, but they're streaky, and I think a yeah. lot of it has to do with the fact they've had so many injuries. They're the the I, I have a major problem with people arguing that well, it doesn't matter where you bat in the lineup. Yeah, it does. It matters where you hit in the lineup, and if you keep having your slot moved around game in and game out, and you don't know who's hitting behind you, you don't know who's hitting in front of you, you don't know what you're expecting, then I think mm. it, it definitely changes the dyna- dynamic of what you're doing. They just have had a lot of that this year, and I think the streakiness is a result of what we're seeing. Is that just a byproduct of a manager kind of trying to figure out what he's I mean we're halfway through the season so maybe not trying to figure out what he's got and where the best fit is or is that just a philosophical um like does he just believe that it doesn't matter so I'm going to try and put together the best lineup for tonight has he has he spoken about that not really but I can tell you just based on what we've seen this season I think they've had so many injuries that he never really had a chance to settle his lineup until now this is the first time all season Every major part except for Zach Cozart has been in the lineup. And Zach Cozart might not play again. People, you know, he has not found a swing. His shoulder's all messed up. It's, you know, where it was once loose and due to injury now it's too tight. And to me, no one wants to say it, but I'll say it. I don't know if we'll ever see him play in Angels uniform again. So the, the yeah. guys they have right now are the guys I believe they're going to have all year. But it's the first time we've seen that. Because you had Otani out until May. You had... Uh, Simmons was fine then injured. Now he's back. You, you had so you've had injuries across the board. Upton just got back, and he's both those two Simmons and Upton have to find their groove. That's the real problem. Yeah, that that does make it tricky. Um, that's that's a huge challenge for a young manager. I think the Rangers have faced something kind of similar. Elvis Andrews was out for a while. Uh, Rugnet Odor was out for a while, and then frankly, Rugnet Odor being back presents a challenge of its own. Um, and then, you know, Hunter Pence has been one of their best hitters. He's been out for a while. Joey Gallo missed about six weeks. Um, it's it's always interesting to see how managers deal with that. I, I think the benefit that the Rangers have seen is that everybody that comes up kind of does just fine. Like, Joey Gallo is down. Well, here comes Willie Calhoun. He's gotten on base in every big league game he's been in this year. But, to your point, the lineup has stayed relatively stable. Yeah, if one guy's out, then the next guy gets plugged in, and it kind of stays where it is. The the bench players have played more than I think for Texas anyway more than um, 
than you usually see bench guys play. And I, Woodward said sort of jokingly, like, yeah, well, when I was playing, I was a bench guy, and I know how hard it is to be productive when you don't get regular at-bats. So I've tried to just let these guys play almost as much as the regulars. And the regulars don't really, when they're going well, don't super like getting days off. But then they see these guys come in, and I mean, you got Danny Santana hitting 300. Logan Forsyth, for a long time, was hitting 300. Hunter Pence is an all-star. And you kind of go, well, okay, we're winning games. They're doing great. Sure, let's, you know, I can stay fresh, and we can still win games. Let's do it. So it's it's interesting to see two teams with sort of similar stories as far as injuries go sort of respond in two different ways. And by the way, just to back up a little bit, Jose Suarez pitched on the 26th last. So that yes. would put him on key here to pitch right about first. But there, I'm not seeing anything. So the bat app is the first I've seen of his pitching line yeah. on the 26th for Salt Lake, which it's actually a pretty good line considering it's in Salt Lake. Five and third inning, two hits, two runs. A strikeouts. His problem though has been nice. walks. Yeah, it's been that's been a big problem for him. The overall though for this series, it, it's for us by the way, it's critical because it, it, we're starting to get down to do the Angels sell or not for yeah. the trade deadline, and that's why losing these last two games against Oakland and we're at risk of losing the home series to them is a big big deal for the Angels. What are your keys for this series overall? Not overlooking the Angels, as strange as that sounds, because they're a division rival. But the Rangers are in a stretch right now where they are, you know, trying to figure out if they're going to be buyers. Um, they are playing the Rays right now. They've split that series one-one so far. So we got the rubber game today. Um, after the Angels, they go play the Twins, who have been possibly the biggest surprise in all of baseball. Uh, after the All Star break, they pay, they play the Houston Astros seven out of the first nine games. So. They're in a position now where if they go make some hay, they are, they put themselves in a really good position for the rest of the year to go ahead and make a run at, I mean, we've been saying wild card, wild card all year, but now I look at the standings, the Rangers are five and a half back in the West. The Astros have been kind of struggling lately. It's not impossible to think that man, a, a good hot streak and you win five out of nine against the Astros after the All-Star break. Well, you know, maybe that West is still possibly in play. So I think this is a huge time for them. I, I don't think they overlook any games at this point, but as far as opponents go, when you're looking at you know, the Rays, the, the Rangers are one game behind the Rays for the first wild card spot. The Twins, who are undoubtedly, I mean, I, let me look at the standings real quick and see, they are nine games up. They're probably going to win the Central. Um, and then the Astros, who are their biggest division rival, I think there is some danger in possibly overlooking the Angels as a team that is like a breather in that stretch of, of games. And, and obviously when you look at their lineup and you look at the fact that you're facing Griffin, Can Griffin canning, they're not, they're not to be overlooked. So I think that's probably the biggest key for Texas in the series. I'm looking at the series thinking, well, the angels have to take two out of three for them to really kind of, they have the Astros after that, you mm -hmm. know, Seattle coming in and Seattle's given them fits all year. So the angels kind of, this is their, to me, they're, they're making a break at moment. They have a, a gauntlet schedule in the yeah. beginning, the middle of August, all the way th through the end of the year. So if they're going to do anything, now's the time. So this series is critical, and my key to the series has got to be pitching. Uh, Griffin Canning has to go out there and perform. He's he's getting a raw deal. He's three and four. The raw deal, though, is he has not gotten much support in, in his games at all. He probably mm -hmm. should be around five and two. He's pitched very well. Yeah. So the, the bullpen has to hold up. I don't like the matchup personally. The way the Rangers have been playing this year, the way they've played the Angels this year, 
it's not, I don't like the matchup at all. So what are your predictions? Want to give it a shot? Uh, let's go Rangers in game one since they've got minor going against Suarez. Uh, Angels in game two. I, I like Canning over Harado. And then Lance Lynn is pitching in the third game. And Lance Lynn has been uh, a beast lately. Uh, the the Angels, I think, are still TBA for that last game. So I don't, I don't know who will be starting for them. But um, Lynn is in just quite a groove so if i had to predict i'd go 2-1 rangers that probably means they have a, an opener that day okay so that's that's been their mo we don't know because they're they're battling between probably i try to remember who pitched the other night was it pena or, or heaney but then they'll have an opener that's the way i would look at it and okay. the opener has not worked well in the last couple times out so if it's a kind of who do they, for you. yeah who do they generally have opening for them when they do that Cam Bedrosian, who's been very guy. good, or okay. Noe Ramirez, who's been decent, but he got hit hard the other day. Okay. He got hit hard in the opening. And so the opener worked well for them originally, but I think that the effectiveness of the opener is starting to wear off a little bit. And at, at some point here, the Angels have to just say, you know what, we're going to throw our guys out there. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was interesting for the Rangers. They've done the opener not as much recently with the starters performing as well as they have, but kind of early in the year where they're trying to figure out, okay, is Shelby Miller going to be a factor? Is Drew Smiley going to be a factor? Like, are these guys going to stick in the rotation? And uh, Jesse Chavez was the guy that they used a lot for for the opener. And we talked we talked to Jesse Chavez about it, and he's like, frankly, I hate this. I like, I'll do it. I like pitching. But just conceptually, I don't like the opener. Either you've got five guys or you don't. you got to let your starters figure out what they've got. And uh, and so now with Miller in the bullpen and Smiley unemployed, uh, Jesse Chavez is no longer an opener. He is now a starter. So uh, he won't. you guys won't see him um, in this series. I think he's lined up to pitch the first game against the Twins, if I'm not mistaken. But, but uh, it, yeah, it's been interesting to watch. And he was really good at it, by the way. The Rangers, when they've used an opener, uh, they've used him. They used Jeffrey Springs, I think, once. Jose LeClerc they used once or twice. Uh, it's worked really well for them, but they just haven't had to use it recently. And I get the strategy of it. You want, you know, you want to save your starter. You don't want him half in the face at the top of the lineup more than he needs to be. But the, the downside to that, obviously, is you're using a reliever early. It means you, that you lose an extra option later in a game. At some point sure. here, I would think you have to, you know, like you said, hey, five starters. If you can't have five starters off of your entire organization, you have, a, you have a much deeper problem than finding an opener. So Sure. And the way that I heard Chris Woodward explain it, the, you know, he said he's gone back and forth on it a little bit. But the way the, re, the, the benefit to it, in his eyes, was you kind of get to decide what the lineup is for your starter. So if it's those first three guys against the angels that are going to be the biggest problem and you want your guy to go two, maybe three times through the, through the rotation, why not start that with a guy that you think is a better matchup? And then, yeah, he's going to have to face those guys eventually, but maybe he only has to face them once or if he's doing really well, has to face them twice, but he doesn't have to face them three times. And that third time through the rotation is always a problem. So I can see the benefit to it. Um, it's, but yeah, as you said, and this bit the Rangers once this year is once you burn Jesse Chavez in the first inning, then it comes to the seventh inning, and you know who you could really use, Jesse Chavez, but he's not available anymore. So you're right. There's, it's interesting to watch the sport sort of figure out how or even if this strategy is going to work. I kind of just see the opener as something that teams should use when they're trying to find a fifth starter, mm-hmm. and it needs to be a temporary fix. Not, hey, we're going to use this all season to try and because, like, hey, Noah Ramirez 
and Cam Bedrosia have been the two main openers the Angels have used, and they've been very good. You need these guys late in games, especially since your stars aren't going much further than five or six innings. Yeah, you need these guys. You're wearing out Ty Buttry. You're wearing out Hanson Robles. You're whole, you're wearing out the, the key guys you need in the eighth and ninth inning because you have to use them so much. I, I just yeah. don't see that. You, it makes sense. And I guess the other benefit is the Rangers bullpen has been pretty deep this year, so they haven't really had. I mean, they've got Leclerc. Chris Martin has been much better. Um, they they brought up this guy uh, Pete Fairbanks, who is. Eh, hit and miss since he's made the big leagues, but he's definitely good enough to be in the big leagues. Um, Sean Kelly has been great. So they've they've gotten a good enough performance out of enough guys in their bullpen that it sort of allows them to to do something like that. So I'm keeping you longer than we planned. I think the plan was like 20 minutes, but it's been a great baseball conversation. I have to you know say thank you for that. Um, sure, yeah. But I just have one more question, if it's okay with you. Yeah. And that is, Right now with the Rangers, you can mention the expectations were were you know hey this could this is probably a last place team, this is you know a ninety some loss team. Now they're doing well. Looking long term at what the Angels and the rest of the AL West are looking at, what is the organization set up for the future in terms in terms of the minors and at the major league level in terms of contracts, in terms of talent coming through the pipeline, and so on and so forth. Yeah, I, I think their sort of young offensive core is pretty well set. Um, Ronald Guzman, let's sort of go by position. Guzman at first base hasn't had a great offensive year, but man, his defense has been so beneficial for the infield. I mean, he's six foot seven or whatever. He can do the splits. And just watching him make catches at first base on balls that should be a throwing error, uh, he's he's huge. Um, Rugnet Odor, I think, is the big question mark. Is he ever going to figure it out at second base? Um, he has shown the ability to learn because defensively he used to be not so great last year. He was a gold glove finalist. He, he puts in the work, but man, he has been just struggling at the plate this year. Um, after some signs of revitalization last year, shortstop Elvis Andrews is kind of their like veteran guy and he's 30, 31, but he's still playing an above average shortstop. He's still hitting over 300. Um, he has the option to opt out of his contract at the end of this year. I kind of think the Rangers will go ahead and extend him. I think he wants to stay here. I think the organization wants to keep him here as the veteran that leads them into their next um, line of contention. Third base is a question. As Drupal Cabrera is there right now, he probably won't be next year. Who knows where that is. Catching, it looks like Sam Huff is probably going to be pretty good. He showed a lot of power in the minor leagues this year. He's the Rangers' lone representative in the, uh, in the um, Futures game. Right field, Nomar Mazzara. Center field, probably Joey Gallo is not the answer in center field long term. But if he is, then that puts Willie Calhoun in left. Or more likely, one of these young guys, maybe Leo de Tavares, maybe Julio Pablo Martinez, will end up in center field. Gallo in left, Willie Calhoun at DH. So their, their offensive core is pretty young, pretty under control for the next little while, and probably pretty good. The question is... Uh, are Mike Miner and Lance Lynn going to stick around or be traded? Um, and the more the Rangers win, the more that that, answer, that question is answered. And how good are the next wave of starting pitchers? So you're looking at um, Joe Palumbo. You're looking at Taylor Hearn. How long is it going to be before Hans Kraus is here? Um, so if that young core of starting pitchers can get here quickly and be good, then the Rangers should be good for a while. Um, I do think that there'll be a big player in free agency this year. I think Garrett Cole is probably their primary target. Um, you look at third base, maybe Rendon is a target for them. It'd be lovely if they would break the bank and go for both. 
But I, I do think they're set up with just a few moves and just maybe a couple of prospects working out. I think they're set up to be good for the next few years. Um, and so, you know, people have talked about 2021 being the, the year that they really go for it. And that, that still seems about right. I think maybe they contend for a wild card this year, perhaps contend for the division next year. But I really believe 2021 is when a lot of those young pitchers come up when these uh, offensive players are hitting their prime at 26, 27 years old. And, and I think that's going to be a, a fun year to watch. That's interesting because that's also in line with our expectations as well to really start competing next year and going deeper in 2021. And you mentioned mm-hmm. a key name there, Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole was, is definitely, at least from what we're hearing, on at the very least on the fans' radar. But that's been a name that we're hearing connected to the Angels as well. So we may have ourselves a little bit of a uh, competition come, come offseason this year. Oh, I'm sure the Angels and Rangers are not the only two teams to feel that way. There's probably 20-plus teams that are looking at Garrett Cole as a possible free agent signing. And I would look at the Angels probably, uh, given the starting pitching develop, development in the Myers right now, If we there is pitchers coming, there are pitchers coming up, but there really is no one we consider to be a full-on ace. Griffin Canning, I think, has a, a potential ceiling for that, but he's probably a number two. Like I mentioned, Suarez is number three. They have no ace, and having that eight, a lack of a ace in the last couple of years has really killed this franchise, which is why they yeah. went hard after one last year. So Garrett Cole, I'm, I'm thinking, is definitely on their shopping list this year, and, and they're probably going to throw a lot of money at him. Yeah, well, and they'll get Otani back next year, too, which is certainly, I mean, we'll see how he comes back from Tommy John, but yeah. that's... Probably, you would have to think that that's going to be a, a net positive for the team as well. Uh, that's what we're hoping for. And he just started pitching up the mound. We'll, we'll see how that goes. You never know with Tommy John. Sometimes these guys come back even better than they were before, and sometimes they're a train wreck. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. Hey, Levi, can you let folks know where they can find you on Twitter? And folks, just if you, this is probably one of our best baseball conversations we've had with a preview, with a for a preview podcast. So hey, that says a lot. So make sure you follow and check out their podcast as well. By the way, tell them about your podcast, Levi. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's called Welcome to the Hit Show. It's with Emily Jones, who is the sideline reporter for Fox Sports Southwest uh, here in in DFW. And it comes out on Tuesdays and Fridays for subscribers of The Athletic. Um, as far as Twitter goes, I managed to come up with a very confusing handle years and years ago and have never changed it. It's 3-2-EFAS, but you have to spell out the numbers. So T-H-R-E-E. T-W-O, EFUS is spelled E-E-P-H-U-S. Um, I probably should have changed it a long time ago, but now that's what people know me as, so i got to kind of keep it, I guess. <laughs> you can always change it, man. Come on, you can always change it. <laughs> nah, I'm just going to leave it. I don't care. <laughs> All right, so Levi, thanks so much for taking the time today to, just to talk baseball. Really enjoyed it, and I hope we can have you back again. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks so much. All right, take care. All right, John, you want to give any predictions for this series? I, I honestly don't know what to predict from from the Angels at this point. Um, it's a You did say it's a four-game series, correct? Correct. I will say we're going to go 500. Two for two. So Skag, uh, Skaggs and Canning. Um, I'll, yeah, we'll take a split. I'll, I'll say a split, and, I, and I'll, I'll make a bigger prediction. I think the Angels go out tomorrow night and play well. I think they'll take today's loss as a kind of a a slap, and they'll go out tomorrow and they'll play well. So that's my prediction. I hope so. 
All right, folks, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Talking Halos. You can also search for our page, Talking Halos, on Facebook. Join there. Give us a like. You can also find me on Twitter at DC Apollo and John Crane at Jags Crane John. He likes to cause all kinds of problems. Trust me. Don't forget us on Spreaker, Apple Music, Spotify, TuneIn. We're pretty much everywhere now. iHeartRadio. Yes, iHeartRadio. Oh, and there's one more thing I have to tease you about, John, before we go. Yes. Say goodbye to Kyle because he's not going to be a Clipper. Who? No. What, you, Kawhi Leonard? Kawhi no. Kawhi Leonard yeah. is not going to be a Clipper. Okay, did he sign? He isn't signed. He oh, you, you, be, you mean because because uh, uh, um, Durant signed, right? Durant went to the Knicks? The Nets, but... The Nets, the Nets. But, but the belief was that Kawhi would, would go with Jimmy Butler to the Clippers as a package deal. Well... The 76ers and the Heat are now doing a sign trade, so Butler's going to Miami. So there's another team in L.A. that has cap space. I think you're predicting will get him. I is that, think is that what I'm hearing? Is that what I, I'm, I'm hearing from you? I think there's a good shot, but I wouldn't put it past him going back to Toronto because Toronto still has one more year at that core together, and then Kawhi leaving next year. I wouldn't put it past him. I did see that the odds dropped earlier today for Toronto to repeat, but um, but I also saw an article that the Lakers have that cap space, and you know the Lakers never get big names. They never <laughs> the big the big guys never sign with the Lakers. I don't get it. <laughs> we talked about hey, you know what? There was a time there where that didn't happen. Remember Dwight Howard rejected them. We had a couple summers ago where the Lakers didn't do it. So, I mean, it's possible. I think when you have LeBron, LeBron's very, very good at selling this. And you have ADRE there. I think it'll be a hard for Kawhi to turn it down, but you never know. All right, folks, it is time for us to hit the bricks. We are going to be out of here. We'll see you Wednesday night. We have another veteran come on the show, and hopefully we can have a great baseball conversation. So for John, this is Derek C. Paul saying we are out of here. We'll see you tomorrow night in Texas. control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand a chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. The NBA is back. Where else can a city this loud be this left on? And 30 feet is still in range. Where else is history? Still in the make. The NBA, only here. Season begins December 22nd on ABC, ESPN, TNT, and NBA TV. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.